That's Joel chapter 2. And we're reading from verse 28 through to verse 32. Joel chapter 2, 28 through uh, to verse 32. Amen. Let's pray together as we turn. Amen. Father, we give you thanks this morning for your presence. Lovely, the lovely sense of your presence among us this morning. Lord, we praise you today for Jesus. We thank you for all that you mean to each one of us in this room. And we pray as we come to your word for your help and for your anointing. Lord, to both preach and to hear your word. Lord, open our eyes, our hearts. Lord, give us tender hearts to receive thy truth this morning. Lord, we ask, Lord, that your name would be lifted up. We pray for a move of your spirit even among us this morning, Lord. Oh, Father, that would be more than a song, but be a reality. Lord, as you would move mightily in our midst today, that you would touch every life, you'd fill every vessel, baptizes afresh in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask today that you would come, breathe upon these pages. Lord, break the bread of life to us, encourage us and strengthen your people, revive your church. Once again, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Joel uh, chapter 2 and verse 28. Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. This is where we've been in the, uh, this little book of Joel uh, just for this time. Um, and uh, we just know that the Lord has just really opened up these few uh, chapters and these verses. And this morning, just I suppose in concluding it, we'll go over some things that we've looked at, but bring it uh, to a conclusion. Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my Spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And that day is very close. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word this morning. I will, I will, God says, I will pour out my spirit. We have looked over these weeks at God's awesome power when he pours out his spirit, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to work in extraordinary ways to drive back the northern army, which speaks of the powers of darkness, to bring the Holy Spirit, to bring conviction of sin and of righteousness and of the judgment that is to come. And in the outpouring of the Spirit of the Lord, to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. The years that the locusts have eaten. We see that not only was this a reality and the blessing of God in the natural, but we have looked at the spiritual application 
of the locusts. As Revelation tells us, that out of the bottomless pit come a plague, as it were, of demonic activity that we are currently witnessing all across this world. It's like the devil, knowing his time is short, is unleashing everything that he has upon this planet because he knows his time is short and he knows that Jesus Christ is coming again. We see in the outpouring of the Spirit, as we looked at it just the last couple of weeks, that in that outpouring, there is two specific things. There is one to bring a restoration, and secondly, another to bring preparation. God is a God that prepares. He's a God that right in the heart of the Father brings a preparation. Even in God himself, we know that he prepared the Lamb before ever a man was born, that there was a lamb prepared from the foundation of the world, and his name is Jesus. We're thankful for that this morning. And the great preparation of the Lord. He is making his bride ready. That is the church, the assembly of God, the church of God, those that have been washed in the blood, born of the Spirit. He is preparing them for his second coming, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. He is coming again. We've sung much about it this morning, but he will make his bride, the Holy Spirit will make the bride ready for the Lord Jesus Christ. His son, the Father's son, deserves a bride. He deserves a bride. And in this preparation, you know, I love these scriptures that we'll come to this morning, but Looking at God in his preparation, you see it even in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 14, and I love these couple of verses, but Mark 14 verse 13, when he sent the two disciples into Jerusalem, and he said to them, Mark 14, 13, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. You know, just in general, to speak of this this morning, you know, in life, in this walk of faith, you'll encounter, I know we have as a fellowship and individually, you'll meet this man. He's no name, but you'll meet this man burning a pitcher of water. Somehow, in all of this life of faith, there are times that by faith you, you follow something like this man with the pitcher of water, just in obedience to God's word, and he will lead you in to that prepared place. Going back many years before we had this building, these verses, I can remember that the Lord quickened them to us that he will lead us. There is a man. Just follow that man. But he will lead you into a place, an upper room that God has prepared for us. We're sitting in it this morning. God prepared this for us. And so in life, when you follow, you don't see it. This is faith. But you follow just as the Lord leads. And as you follow this man with the pitcher of water, I believe it's a type of the Holy Spirit. He's going to lead you into that place that God has prepared for you. And ultimately, one day, the Holy Spirit, when Christ comes, will gather the bride of Christ all across this world. And the Son has prepared a place for us. We will leave this planet, praise the Lord. We are going home soon, and we're going to meet the Lord in the earth. Here we see, just again, how God works in the dealings of the Father, the Son. The Master says, verse 14, the Master says, where's the guest chamber 
where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room. And look at this room. It's furnished and it's prepared. It was ready for the master. And I believe this morning that the bride of Christ is going to be furnished and prepared for the coming of the Lord. It may not look much to you at this moment, but I do believe that God, the Holy Spirit, is going to furnish the bride, make her ready for the coming of the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 5, if you turn over verse 25, we read there, Ephesians 5 and 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Verse 27 says that he might present it to himself. What is this bride going to look like? Glorious, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. There's a preparation and there's a restoration that has taken place across the world in the bride. God is making his bride ready. You know, that's not just everything that calls itself a church. That's those that love the Lord, that are called by his name, that are washed in the blood of Jesus. God is making that bride ready for the second coming of the Lord. Now, how will he do this? Back into Joel chapter 2, the prophet here declares the intention and the will of the Father. He says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. God said this. This is not an idea that you'll find by the church. This is the heart of God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And when you note, and we looked at it a number of weeks ago, when God says, I will, how many people know that he will? God's not a God that lies. We know that all the promises of God are yea and in him, our Lord Jesus Christ. And when God speaks, God will carry forth his word. We look just a few verses back in Joel chapter 2, 19, when the Lord said in the outpouring what it looks like, and we brought the spiritual application, he said, I will send you corn, and I will send you wine, and I will send you oil, and you're going to be satisfied, and I will no more make your approach among the heathen, but I will remove far off from you the northern army. You see the I wills of God in this. Now we know what the wine and the corn and the oil represent. Again, just to remind ourselves in Psalm chapter 104, if you turn over on verse 15, God said that this is what he will do, the spiritual application for us. Psalm 104 and verse 15, the corn, the wine, and the oil. Here in Psalm 104, 15, we find out what that means. It says that the wine that maketh glad the heart of man and the oil will make his face to shine. And then it says, and the bread which strengthens the heart of a man. This is the power of the Holy Ghost quickening the people of God that in the heart, not, not the wine of this world, but the new wine that's found the Holy Spirit, that the heart is made to rejoice, that the face is made to shine, that the church is the light 
That is to shine in this darkened world. And it's the strength of God through the word of God that will strengthen the heart of God's people in the days in which we're in. So when God speaks and says, this is my intention and this is my word, I will, according to my son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll see in this the perfect harmony and the working of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit works in harmony throughout the Word of God, the intention of the Father, all because of the Son, Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and everything is brought into being or made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. So when we read this, and we understand that God says, I will pour out my spirit. We know that this is not the only prophecy concerning the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. If you turn over to Isaiah chapter 44, and you'll know these verses well. But these are prophetic utterances from those prophets whom the Holy Spirit came upon to bring forth the intention of God and the fulfillment of Scripture that we'll look at in a moment. Isaiah 44, verse 3. And there it says, For I will pour water, again a symbol of the Holy Spirit, upon him that is thirsty, and floods, floods upon the dry ground. And I will pour my Spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows, by the water courses. I will. God says, this is a dry and thirsty land, brothers and sisters. This is a barren world that we're living in. This is a world that is fueled with every type of demonic activity. The signs of his coming are everywhere around us. You look, if you do, but if you look at everything that's happening worldwide, globally, we see all the indications according to the word of God, that Jesus Christ is about to come again. But we know we're living, particularly in the western side of the church, we're living in a Laodicean age. It's a time of, of, of deep sleep. It's a time of apathy, that they're not so much concerned about a world that's lost and going to a lost eternity. And there's a dryness, there's a barrenness, there's a, there seems to be a need that we've come to, that these grounds are thirsty. But God says in his word, I will pour water upon that which is thirsty. There is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on dry ground. How many people know this is dry ground? This is dry ground. Not, not just, I'm not just talking about in this room this morning. I'm talking about the spiritual climate that has come particularly to the United Kingdom and Ireland. We are living in a day where there's a dryness, where there's a dryness. But God says, I will. Here's the word of the Lord this morning. This is not what Tim McElrath said. This is what God said. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. Now I want to ask you this morning, because it's all about desire. Is there a thirsting in your soul for the rivers of water? Is there a longing for the outpouring of the Spirit of God? Is there a cry in your heart for a fresh baptism in the Holy Ghost? 
When Jesus has promised us rivers out of our innermost being, brothers and sisters, it's not so much that you got baptized in the Holy Ghost 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. It's where we are this morning. Are we full and running over? Is there a joy unspeakable? And is it full of glory? Is there a flowing up from within our souls this morning of a river of life? Is it this morning a living reality, not just a past experience? Now we are experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Here is a promise from God. I will pour waters on him that is thirsty. Are you thirsty this morning for the Holy Spirit? Are you longing for more of Christ in your life? We see here that the promises are found in God's word. In Isaiah 32 and verse 15, it says, Until the Spirit be poured out upon us from on high and the wilderness Look what happens when the Holy Ghost is poured out. Look what happens when God pours His Spirit out upon His people. The wilderness, look what happens, suddenly becomes a fruitful field. We're longing to see the fruit that glorifies the Father. We're longing to see souls well born and well saved and in the kingdom and full of the Holy Ghost and living a life for Jesus. We want to see the barren land a fruitful field. How does this happen? It's by the power of the Holy Ghost. We're longing to see the showers of blessing across Ireland, over the hills and the valleys, the sound of the abundance of rain. That's what we're longing for. It's nearly a sense in our hearts and in our DNA. That's what we've been born for. We've been born for this, to see an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It's not that all the world are going to be saved. That world is going to wax worse and worse, friends. It's a demonic-filled world, but there's going to be a people in the midst of that, that they're full of the Holy Ghost, that are revived by the power of the Spirit, that they're a fruitful field to the glory of the Father, and they're ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Are you ready? That's the thing. We need the Holy Ghost to make us ready. To prepare us for the coming of the Lord. And so we see this promise of the outpouring. Now what does it look like? What does it look like? Well we have been looking the last couple of Wednesdays. If you turn in to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. And everyone knows probably very well. The first four verses of Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost has fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there comes a sound from heaven as of a rushing and a mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And the Bible says that they were all filled. What does it look like? And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues, high as the Spirit of the Lord gave them an utterance. There was an, here's an old word, there was an unction. 
There was an unction amongst the people, 120 people. There was no windows at that time, back in those days. They were gathered in an upper room. It was just an old room, and there was no windows. And when the noise came up into that room, 120 people all together were all filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. And they all began to speak with other tongues. And they lifted up their voice, and they began to magnify the Lord, and they began to praise the Lord. And it was noise to broad. Something's happening in that upper room. Something's happening. You know, we're afraid of this nearly. There's something within us that we don't want to break the mold. We don't want to step out of the religious form. We don't want to let it go too far because they might call us radicals and they might think there's something wrong with us. They think that anyway. They think that anyway. There was such, I know there's been so much foolishness. I know there's been so much of the flesh. But brothers and sisters, we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Because there's a reality of the power of God. You think about it that every person in this room, think about this is what happened. This is what it looks like. Every person in this room, every single person in this room, when the Holy Ghost came down, suddenly as a rushing mighty wind, some of you may find this difficult to believe it could ever happen to you. But the Holy Spirit blew into that upper room and suddenly, not just one or two, but suddenly, every vessel that was in that room was filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. The whole house was filled with God. That's what it was. The whole house is filled with the Lord. His presence was among them. Then, every person that was in that room, and I believe we're representative of that room, young and old, male and female, every single person in that room suddenly felt the unction of the Holy Ghost. They were all filled together and collectively with the power of God. And they all began to speak with other tongues. And they began to magnify the Lord. What a meeting. If you go down to verse 12 in Acts chapter 2. As these men had gathered in for this feast all across from the known world. And this commotion. Something's happening in that room. Something beyond the form and the norm. You understand what I'm saying? Something just beyond the norm of everything, of every day, uh, religious activity. Something is happening in that church. Something's happening that's different to everything that we have known. And here we see that they were all amazed. These men had gathered. These devout men, these religious men, these scribes, these Pharisees, they are all gathered and they're all amazed as they see and witness what's happening. And they were in doubt, saying one to another, what does this mean? What's happening here? Others mock said, these men are full of new wine. But Peter, and this is a wonderful thing, here's a man standing up, full of the Holy Ghost. The first voice to be spoken in this dispensation of which we are a part of. Here he stands up full of the Holy Ghost. Full of the power of God and says, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these men are not drunk as ye suppose, 
seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Verse 16, what does he say? But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is that. We have in measure and can say with an assurance that we can say to the sprinklings of this that this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. We can say that. But to the measure of which I believe we need the outpouring of the Spirit of God, there should be in every assembly across this land and across the world. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. You know, we have an awful lot of this and that, but we don't have a this is that. We have an awful lot of stuff in the church today. We've got this and we've got that. We've got all the facilities. We've got this and that and this and that and this and that. But we need a this is that. That's what we need more than anything else. We need a this is that. Which was spoken by the prophet Joel. What a time. And then he says, if you look at it, and it's practically nearly word for word, but there's a couple of changes He says, and it shall come to pass in the last days. Joel said afterwards, but here Peter says the last days. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Who said this? Seth. Who said it? God said it. That's important that we know that God said this. Not not a church creed. not, Not a statement of faith. God said these words. Now we understand concerning the term, the last days. And if you don't, I would say most people do, but if you don't, let me help you. The last days, that phrase, began the day that Peter practically uttered those words. That's when the last days began. There has been the last, we are in the period known as the last days. So when you hear someone saying, we're in the last of the last days, they're absolutely correct in what they're saying. This period is the last days, but we are now in the last of the last days. Now we know this from Scripture. Paul writing to Timothy said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. There's always been perilous times. The first church faced martyrdom. They were crucified, they were imprisoned, they were beheaded. They faced perilous times. It was the last days then as much as it's the last days today. There is a difference because the indications or the signs of His coming in the last of the last days are all around us. So that should awaken us to the hour in which we're in. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3 and verse 3, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, Now, do you think scoffers have only turned up in the 21st century? There's always been scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? This is what the disciples, the apostles, the early church faced. You said that he's coming again. He's not coming. And today we face the same scoffers and mockers, those that say, we've heard about this second coming preaching for years. Especially so many that have been brought up in church. They've become weary and they've become tired. 
and to become familiar, which is one of the great sins in the church, to become familiar. It's like a cancer in the church. We have heard all this before. It doesn't quicken us. It doesn't move us anymore. But these scoffers will come. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. We know that these last days began with the outpouring of the Spirit of God, with Christ exalted and the outpouring of the Spirit of God. And here we find the fulfillment, the beginning. It's important to know the word, the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. What does he say? In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, 17 and 18, and it says these words, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And this is the fulfillment or the beginning of the fulfillment of this prophecy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men are going to see visions. Your old men are going to dream dreams. We really read that and just skip on of the way. It doesn't mean anything. It means God means what he says. I know there's been so much nonsense in the church that nearly we're afraid of visions and dreams. Everything's subject to God's word. Everything must come under subjection to the authority of the word of God. And there's wisdom and counsel. But yet the, the meaning is the same. He says here, your sons and daughters, are you a son or are you a daughter? How many sons and daughters? Every hand should be up because you're one or the other. I mean, this is what we believe. The world might believe something different, but we believe male and female sons and daughters. That's what God says. I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Old men are going to dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. This the beginning of this prophecy continues through the last days until, until the great and the notable day of the Lord. Remember last week, it's going to be a great and a terrible day. It's going to be a great and a terrible day. Here we see clearly in Scripture that the, this is that has begun initially at the outpouring of the Spirit of God in the upper room. And the prophecy of Joel is as real today. Are you with me this morning? This is where we're probably coming up against it a wee bit in practice, tradition, even theology. There might be some in a a theological box this morning that have been taught something different by the church or some part of the church. So we come up against this. But I I want to show you, it's from Scripture this morning, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the beginning of the fulfilling of this prophecy. There is no Scripture found to say that this has ended. There's none. Would you say amen? Amen. By the way, it was Pentecostal above the door when you walked in. Praise the Lord. Amen, Frank. (laughs) 
not in the denominational sense, but in the living reality of the experience. It's not a denominational thing. It's not for them, and it's not for these ones. Remember what happened. He pours his spirit out upon all. So it's inclusive. Thank God God's inclusive. This is that. And for these days that we are now living in, we need to hear again from pulpit and pew alike just these words. This is that which the prophet Joel spoke about. This is what it was. We need to leave our churches saying, what a meeting we had this morning. This is that which the prophet Joel spoke about. Did you see how the Lord filled his life with the power of the Holy Ghost? Did you see that young man get touched by the power of God, full of the Holy Ghost, with a fresh vision in his heart of Jesus? Did you see that old man with tears running down his face as he was dreaming the dreams of God, that one day I'm going home and this old body's going to be put into the pit. This outward man's perishing, but this new man's being renewed day by day. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. The living reality of God's word alive amongst his people. You know, in 2 Chronicles, don't turn there, but you read the story of King Josiah, 2 Chronicles verse 34. He was a king that was brought at a time to do which was right in the sight of the Lord and to bring a reformation, a revival, whatever term you want to put upon it, but he was there to bring a restoration, a revival, a reformation to the things of God. And as this young man, there was one particular individual found, he found the law of Moses. What that shows us was that somehow God's word had been buried and the revelation of God have been hid because of backsliding and decay and God's people wandering from him and one man finds the book and he brings the book to the king and he begins to read the law to the king and as the king sat on his throne and he realized and the revelation came to his heart do you know what he did he got off his throne And he tore his clothes and he rent his clothes and he began to realize that, God, we have forsaken your way. And you know what he did? He says, call all the people together. Get them all in here and read the word of the Lord to them and make sure when you read it that they stand up. Don't fall asleep in the house of God. And they stood. Why? Because there was a reverence. There was a reverence for God's word. There was a reverence. How is the church to be sanctified? It is to be sanctified by the washing of the word. That's how it's to be made ready through the preaching. That's why, brothers and sisters, suddenly and with all the deception of hell that in many churches today they have removed the pulpit They have removed the preaching of the Word of God. They will have extended times of praise and worship. And we love praise and worship. But they will remove the Word of God from the preaching of God, from from God's people. And then the people are deceived. What's the things that marks the beginning of sorrows? Deception. That's what marks it. And we are in, already in, the period 
Matthew chapter 24, of the beginning of sorrows. And the first thing that marks this time, do you know what it is? It's deception. It's deception. That's what the Lord said. Deception. Famines. Earthquakes. Trouble on the earth. Are you seeing it? Do you see it? Not because the newsreels tell us, but we're seeing it because it's in the Word of God. Do you see what's happening? Do you see Australia? Do you see what's taking place? Do you see the awesomeness of what's happening across the world? The nation that just passed last year, abortion, and now their country's ablaze. Do you think there's any connection? I do. I know you get in trouble for all of this, but... And this country, brothers and sisters... You know, I hear it often, and I say it myself, isn't it great we don't have the extremes? We just get wet. But I tell you, we'll not escape the law of the harvest. We'll not escape it. And so we see that this king finds the book. It's like, if I could just compare it this morning, it's like somehow these great and precious promises, the promise of the Father to the church, imagine that it's been lost in the church. Because there's so much of this and that, but there's not a this is that. It's been lost. The baptism in the Holy Ghost, the promise of the Father, the fullness of God in the body of Christ, Christ being the head, filling us all, the overflowing, the power of God living in us, a river of life flowing out of us, a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Somehow it's been lost. We have much activity. We have much of this and that. But oh God, we need the power of the Holy Ghost. We need a this is that. I know we're up against it because the mechanics of it all. And the facility of it all. And all the tradition of what we have created. Makes it difficult for us to just snap out of it. And say, God... We'll rend our hearts. We'll rend everything before you. But Lord, we're coming back to the reality of what Joel said. We need our this is that. The power of the Holy Ghost. And so Peter says, lifts up the prophecy of Joel that was some 800 years before him. And now he puts it in holy writ and we are reading it this morning. And he said, this is for you. This is for you. This is a promise for you and for your children and for your children's children. That's what he said. This was a promise that would not die. This was a promise that God had given to the church itself. The prophecy of Peter. It may seem for some that the initial outpouring was only needed. And I've heard this over the years. I'm sure you have too. For the first church to be established. But that the church of the last of the last days. Which I believe that's we are. Is just going to do fine without it. I mean. I'm not very smart. But I mean I can work this out. Think about it. That the church of the last of the last days. The world that you're living in. That we've heard about this morning. The world that's all around us. The world that's completely given itself over to every type of demonic activity. 
the church systems that we have, not the real bride, but the church systems, the established systems. Brothers and sisters, I watched a bit of a program just the other night. I tell you, it is rotten to the very core. Not just the Roman Catholic system, but every system that you seem that man creates and puts himself at the pinnacle of it, at the core of it, it's rotten. There's only one church, and that is the bride of Christ, and the head of that church is Jesus Christ. He's the head. And all of this formality, somehow we have been taught the tradition of men that we do not need what the first church had. Many people believe that. Don't put your hand up. I don't believe any of us do. Because we live in a real world, but we've got a real Jesus, and there is a real Holy Ghost. Some might even think that because of the initial pouring out, they have this mind, this sort of picture in their head. So when you pour it out at the beginning, there's loads of it, but then it... It's a wee dribble at the end just to sort of help us get over the line. Here's what the Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 34. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 3 and verse 34. And this gets me slightly excited, you'll forgive me, but John 3 and verse 34. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. When Ezekiel measured the waters, ankles, knees, loins, and then what was next? There's waters to swim in. What we're reading here is that the Holy Spirit given to Christ, there is no limit. This is going to be poured out and poured out and poured out and we'll never be able to exhaust the vast, the vastness of an endless God. We can't grasp it. And this is the same one that John said in Luke 3 and 16. I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. Now what will he do, him who has been given the Spirit without measure? He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. You can never exhaust the life of God. We're not talking about waters that run out. We're talking about an endless supply. An endless supply. There is a river and it's an endless supply. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Sons and daughters will prophesy. The Holy Ghost unctioned the sons and daughters. And know what happens? They begin to speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Workplaces. Out in the streets. At school. When the Holy Spirit begins to come upon them. The unction of God. Suddenly. They begin to speak under the power, not just their own words, but the power of the Holy Spirit. A word from heaven in season, right into the midst of hearts. God makes 
your workplace a platform and a pulpit. And suddenly you begin to speak into these situations and bring in Christ and all his glory and all of his love for a lost and a damn world. When the Holy Ghost comes upon God's people, we see it in Scripture. Not only in Acts 2, but in Acts chapter 10, if you turn over, verse 45. Acts 10, 45. So it wasn't exclusively for the first church, which was born out of the Jews. But in Acts 10, 45, it says, And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. What happened? Exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. For they heard them speak with tongues and they magnified the Lord. It has still happened again. When you get to Acts chapter 19, uh, when Paul came to Ephesus, Acts 19 and verse 6, it says that he laid his hands upon them and the Holy Ghost came on them. What happened? And they speak with tongues and they prophesied. They all began under the unction of the Holy Spirit to speak with tongues and prophesy, to magnify the Lord, to speak forth as the Spirit of the Lord gave them unction. Young men, young men, see visions. I mean, brothers and sisters, if there, if there isn't a longing, oh God, put a longing in our hearts for this. Give us a longing for the reality of this, especially in an age where we are losing our young people, a generation of young people. I asked a couple of the girls just a couple of questions a few weeks ago. Tell me this, in your class, when you come round to the religious study times and you talk about all the ethics, tell me this here, what's the few lords in your class or what's the percentage of what young people in your class and these are two different schools, what do they say about abortion? And she said, this young girl is the only one a Christian in her class. She says, I'm the only one that believes abortion is wrong. Think, ask the questions and then you'll find out what's happening out there in case we get caught up in our own world. So we asked the other one the same question. It goes to a different school. These are good schools by all accounts. What's the story in your school? She says, I'm the only one. Could I ask you another question? What's the story about same-sex marriage? What's the general consensus? Is there a, a sort of a split or what ways it work? Both of them says, we're the only ones. One of them and them said, I think there might be one other one. What we're seeing here is systematically with a spirit behind it, a demonic invasion, if you like, and I don't want to hyperact, make this all hyper, but it is true. We see an invasion of spiritual wickedness across. Now, what's the answer to that? i tell you what the answer is. Young men, full of the Holy Ghost, with a vision, that have vision, that actually stand up in this world, and God has opened their eyes, and they can see beyond the realms of the natural. And they're not afraid to make a stand for Jesus. They're not ashamed of the gospel. What happens? That's the unction and the power of the Holy Ghost. We can't do it in our own strength. 
How does this work? How do I get a, re a reality? And I believe this is for us all. And a vision and a reality from God. Well, I believe it happens. Brothers and sisters, I believe this. The old ways are the best ways and the right ways. But Paul writing to the Romans in Romans chapter 12 said this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you want to get a reality and a vision of God, then you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable on the Lord, which is your reasonable service. Just give your all to Jesus. Give him your passions, your desires, your ambitions, your hopes, your dreams. Give him your heart. Give him everything. Now, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of the Lord. What happens when men wholly follow the Lord? When young people wholly give themselves to the Lord, what happens? I want to show you what happens. John 16 and verse 14. This is what happens when we surrender all to Jesus. Over a surrendered church. John 16 verse 14. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say? Here's the first thing. He shall glorify me. That my whole life. My existence, my one purpose in my life, if it's a Holy Ghost-filled life, will be to glorify Jesus Christ. Nothing else. No one else. Not a church. Not a position. Doesn't matter, friends, this morning, whoever it is, but the whole purpose of these lives is to glorify Jesus Christ. Would you say amen if you believe that? We want his name lifted up. We've had enough of all the men being exalted and ministries being exalted. And we went through all of that last week. And everything, this is me. No, no, it's all about Jesus. He will glorify me for he shall receive of mine. And what does he do? Here's revelation. He will show it unto you. Here, this, I believe these verses are wonderful. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and he will bring to you, show it to you, bring you a revelation of everything, of who you are in Christ, and your purpose in this world, and what God has called you to be, and the vision of God. Brothers and sisters, that God would anoint the eyes of the church, and that we would see and revelation will come. Everything of what Christ is and has, He will reveal it to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. I tell you, you'll run. You'll run. We remember the, the, the servant of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6. And I pray that this would happen this morning in this meeting. I just, pray, I just prayed over this, Lord, would this happen to one soul, this one soul, and hopefully all of us, but would it happen this morning? Second Kings chapter 60, enemy was coming in. The powers of darkness was against them. They were outnumbered. You know we're outnumbered? But you know if God's for us, who can be against us? Do you know we're in the majority? I know physically we're outnumbered. But you know we're in the majority. Why? One with God's a majority. Have you heard that? And so we see here the young man is saying, how do you think we're going to go here, Alicia? Doesn't look too good. Ever been in any of those situations? How's it looking? The numbers are stacked against us. Doesn't look great here. No way through. 
And the prophet says in verse 16, 2 Kings 6 and 16, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. Lord, heal our spiritual cataracts. Lord, anoint our eyes to see. Give our young men and women, Lord, open their eyes that they would see. See if God in a moment anointed and opened your eyes this morning. I tell you, you would go from sleep and slumber and you'd burn a trail for Jesus all the way home. If he would just open the eyes and the Lord, what did he do? Opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. Praise the Lord this morning. The angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear him. This whole place this morning, you know, the world might be going past and mocking and sniggering and laughing and doing what they do. But I want to tell you, as we gather together in the name of the Lord at every fellowship across Ireland and every fellowship across the United Kingdom and every fellowship across the world, the angel of the Lord encamps around. Friends, if God would only open our eyes to see this morning that the king's on the throne, the Lord of Lords, he's triumphed. We sang about it this morning that he has destroyed the power of death and the power of darkness and he's seated this morning and he's glorious and there's no one like him this morning. His name is Jesus. God, I pray thee, open our eyes. Old men are going to dream dreams. They'll be closed in two minutes. Old men are going to dream dreams. Old men, revelations will come in the times that we are in of the heart of God revealed to those that are known to be wise, that have walked with God, that have lived for God, that have proved them to be faithful. You know, it's lovely to hear when the older, those that have walked with the Lord, there's something precious because it takes years to do that. It doesn't all come at day one, but you get something precious when you sit with them and you talk with them and they think of the goodness of Jesus and you can see the reality and the tears coming down a face and the heart's still tender and the walk's still fresh and Calvary's still real and the blood still is real and they're dreaming the dreams of Calvary and all that Jesus has done. How we need old men to dream dreams. Not to get caught up in the things of the world. Not to get caught up in just all the stuff of life, but just to keep it all fresh. The anointing does that. Is it still fresh? Remember the promise that he gave us that he will nourish those in, that are up in years. He will nourish them with life. He will nourish us. And how we need old men to dream dreams. How we need men to stand, fathers in the faith, fathers who still stand for righteousness and truth, fathers who stand up, stand up for what is right, stand up and say, this is the way, you walk in it. There's a way that seems right to a man, but you keep walking this way. 
that are not swayed up in all the apparatus of the church and all the backsliding and all the deception and all the stuff that's come in, but men that simply say, I know whom I believed in and I'm persuaded. All of this stuff isn't going to bind me. How many have been bought with that? Bought with popularity, bought with what men say, bought with praise of men, bought with everything of this world. Brothers and sisters, and especially those who walk with the Lord, we need you to keep walking and show us the way. Show us the life. Be the example. We are blessed with the examples that we have in this house. We are blessed. People who know how to serve, how to be faithful, how to walk with God, how to live for God. Young women, look at the older women because that's the example. Younger men, look at the older men. There's examples that we should follow. But young men need to look and young women need to look at old people. I hope that's not offensive, but older in the faith that still dream the dreams of God. They still dream those dreams. Revelations will come. The heart of God will be revealed. It's not foolishness. There's a lot of foolishness about dreams and vision. I know there is. It's all subject to this. It's so important, you know. Many years ago, this is the foolishness that goes on in the church. A man picked me up. The family knew this. He got himself a brand new BMW 330D. It was known then as the beast, apparently. Gets me into the car, takes me for a drive. We had a Picasso. That done all right. It was good enough for me. And he drives up the same field road before the speed cameras, of course. And he says, you know, the Lord's got one of these for you. Folks, it's just nonsense. Do you know what it is? It's why people don't want the reality because they've heard so much nonsense. We need the reality, don't we? We have all this in the church. God wants to give you this and that and the other. Someone was on yesterday, seen a clip, didn't even play it, couldn't be bothered. A guy pleading for a new private jet to preach the gospel. Lord, just leave it. God will make us rich. We're rich in Christ. We're, as we John said last Sunday night, we're billionaires. Peter goes forth, lays hold of this prophecy, lays hold of this world, and said, there's an outpouring. There's a this is done for our day. Peter said, this promise, Acts 2.39, is for you. And to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Brothers and sisters, it's as real today as it was on the day of Pentecost when Peter stood up his feet and lifted up his voice. And you know who it's for? It's for you and it's for me. Lord, Anoint our eyes that we can see as have been lost in tradition and religion, as have been lost, has it been lost because of our fears, has it been lost because of unbelief. But oh God, this morning, may our churches be filled 
from the pews and the pulpits. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Lord, fill us all with the Holy Ghost and power. Let's pray this morning. Thank the Lord. Praise the name of Jesus.